appreciate Adam singing that song. The reason I say that is at the men's meeting at East Main uh, that we went to yesterday in Murfreesboro, we sang that song. And it was, I think the final count was like 367, 368 men or something there in one big room together singing that song. And you can imagine the bass line. It was, it was amazing. Um, and I know every year that many of you ask to get copies of the lessons. Um, they do send a copy of the CDs to every congregation that's present. So as soon as we get that, we'll make copies for whoever wants it. I also saw, I don't really know where they have it, maybe on their website, uh, for East Main's website, but it said that everything's going to be available to download as well, so you may just be able to pull it up on your computer at home. I do appreciate uh, Brother James this morning being willing to do our, our lesson for us, and the reason I say that is, um, last Sunday, or maybe in last Wednesday one, um, Brother Randy came in the office in there and he said, you guys do remember I'm not going to be here next week. It's like, well, no, I forgot that. So... Uh, we were a little short on time on trying to get somebody to fill in. but So I really appreciate Brother James being willing to do that. And kind of along the same lines, I was over at my parents' house mowing this week, trying to help them get ready for Cynthia's wedding. And I'm riding on the lawnmower, thinking to myself, okay, i got to come up with a sermon. i got a week, and what am I going to preach about? One of the things I enjoy doing while I mow is I wear my headphones, and I've got my iPhone strapped on my arm here, and I listen to different podcasts that I download. One of the podcasts that I typically will listen to is one called uh, Chris Brown's True Stewardship. Now, what that podcast is about, it's a 30-minute long, everyday kind of thing, where it's a call-in show on a radio where people call in and ask questions, financial-related questions, and he tries to answer those questions from a biblical viewpoint of what you should do as a steward with your money. Um, And so it's a very interesting concept listening to some of the answers that he gives. and it got me thinking while I was moaning, okay, what, what really is a steward? And that's what I want us to look at tonight is what truly is a steward. Um, most of the time when we think about stewardship or being a steward, money is what we'll think about. Um, about trying to be frugal with our money, trying not to overspend our money, um, making sure that we take care of the things that we have. But does it really go deeper than that? Dictionary.com. Here's the definition that dictionary.com gives. It says a person, a steward, is a person who manages another's property or financial affairs, one who administers anything as the agent of another or others. It also says that a a steward is a person who has charge of the household of another, buying or obtaining food, directing the servants, etc. Now, Merriam-Webster's dictionary gives these two definitions for a steward. It says a steward is someone who protects or is responsible for money, property, etc. It also says that a steward is a person whose job is to manage the land and property of another person. So in a nutshell, really what a steward is, is somebody that has been entrusted to take care of something that belongs to somebody else. Absolutely, that could be money. That could be so many other things as well, though. Um, you're really standing in the place of the person who truly is the owner of whatever the item is that has been entrusted to you. It's really a true management. And I don't think it's difficult for us to understand what that is. Is that not really what we do at our jobs every day? Are we not supposed to be a steward at our jobs? Unless you own your own business, you're really managing the assets or the decisions or whatever for something that belongs to somebody else. And you'll be rewarded for that in, a pay, in, in terms of a paycheck. 
But in essence, you're managing somebody else's stuff in the way that they want it done so that you accomplish the goal that they want accomplished. You're being their steward. Well, as part of this podcast that he has, and, and I guess with many things, different radio shows or whatever, he has a little catchphrase that he says, and it's when you hear this, you automatically think, okay, this is his podcast. He says that it's called Chris Brown's True Stewardship, Managing God's Blessings, God's Way, for God's glory. Well, let's think about that for a minute. So let's, let's break that, that, uh, that, um, that phrase down. Managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. Well, managing makes sense. We've already looked at what the true definition of a steward really is. You really are managing something that belongs to somebody else. Okay, so you're managing God's blessings. Everybody get your Bibles out. And I, I want to hear pages turning. Um, there's going to be several scriptures I want us to turn to together. Go ahead and be turning to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 33 here. Remember, we're looking at God's blessings. Does that make sense? Managing God's blessings. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Think about that for a second. Think how beautiful of a statement that is. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Everything is God's. We can't understand the knowledge of God. The knowledge and the wisdom that he has is so deep and so vast that we'll never comprehend it. But everything, it says in verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things. You know, we're told in Psalm chapter 24, it says the earth is the Lord's. In all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The earth, all of creation, truly belongs to God. You know, you think about the Genesis account when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. We're told in Genesis chapter 2 when it's describing the garden and everything that was there, it's talking about the, the rivers that route through the Garden of Eden. One of the things that it mentions that was there was gold and all these precious stones and jewels. The Garden of Eden was just such a miraculous place. I mean, it's just, it's majesty to behold. But when sin came in to Adam and Eve's life and they were kicked out of the garden, what did they take with them? Nothing. Nothing in that garden belonged to them. It didn't matter what they had done to it. It didn't matter if they had gone and tried to mine the gold, maybe. It wasn't their gold. It didn't belong to them. It belonged to God. They left with nothing. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. Turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and I think you can see where I'm trying to go with this, and we're looking at that phrase that you're managing God's blessings is what we do in life really managing God's blessings. James chapter 1, start reading verse 16. says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth 
that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from God. And so when we're managing things in, in our life, whether we're managing our jobs, we're managing our household, we're managing our families, everything we have belongs to God. It truly does. And so we're managing God's blessings. All right, let's go to the second part of that phrase. Remember it said, managing God's blessings God's way. Anybody that knows me, they, they know and understand, I love music. I used to always say that you could tell truly what a person was like, what they were about, if you would just listen to the kind of music they like, that they listen to. Because I really truly believe that it is kind of a window into what a person truly feels and thinks by the kind of music that, that makes them happy. I love crooner music. There's no way around it. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., I love the stuff. Frank Sinatra had a song, I'm sure most of you have probably heard it, it's called My Way. That song was a massive, massive hit for Frank Sinatra, and it kind of became one of his staples, that when you hear that song immediately, your mind goes back to Frank Sinatra. Even though there's been tons of other artists who have recorded it, you still think of Frank Sinatra. Well, what the song is about, if, if you've never heard the song before, it's really about somebody who's looking back on their life and the way that they've lived their life and the way that they were able to do it the way they wanted to do it. You know what? I'm, I may have had mistakes in my life. I may have done some things that I might regret. But you know what? In the end, no matter what else, I can say I did it my way. That's the whole concept of the song. One thing I did like to, uh, to find out, though, is uh, Frank Sinatra actually said he didn't like that song. Even though it's one of his staples, he never liked it because he said it felt like it was a self-fulfilling song. Now, I, I read a uh, survey online that was done at um, some company associated with funeral homes where they had done a survey of different uh, funeral homes across the country. This was one of the most popular songs to use during a funeral because for the person who has passed away, it tries to wrap up that, you know what, they got to do things the way they wanted to do things. But how selfish is that? How much pride does it take to say, you know what, I don't care what anybody else did. It was my way. I did what I wanted to do. Matthew chapter 23, and I know we've all heard this, it says, for those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's not in man to direct his own steps. It's in God to direct our steps. God's thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways is what the scriptures tell us. Every person in life has got some type of a theme to their life. And you can really sum it up into one of these two categories. Is, is your theme song my way or is your theme song God's way? How are you living your life? Are you doing what you want to do or are you doing what God wants you to do? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We are to do things God's way, the way he wants it done. All right, so the last part of that phrase, it said, managing God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory. What does that truly mean, for God's glory? It, it really all boils down to is why do we do the things that we do? What is the purpose behind what we're doing? You know, I, I, again, listen to these radio podcasts. Uh, another one I, I got downloaded, I listen to all the time, is Dave Ramsey. And believe it or not, that Chris Brown, he works for Dave Ramsey. He's one of his radio guys. And there was a gentleman called in 
on the show and said, hey, I just received a huge inheritance from my parents. Um, I think his father had passed away, and he got this, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars in an inheritance and wanted advice on what do you think I should do with this. And the reason he's asking is he made the one statement. He says, I want to do something that will leave a legacy for my parents. They've left me this money. I want to do something that will honor them and that won't. It, it lets the world know that, you know what, they had a part to play in this. Is that not the, the attitude that we should have in our lives when it comes to God? That every decision that we make, everything we do with the blessings that he has, he has given to us to be stewards with, are we not supposed to be leaving a legacy for God to honor him in everything that we do? Go on and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, when we think about glorifying God, where do we normally think of the areas that we can glorify God? I think one of the most common areas that, that we would all think of probably is during our worship service. We even say in our prayers that um, thanking God for the opportunity to come and sing praises to him, to glorify him, to lift him up. Sure, we glorify God in our worship service, and we're showing acts of kindness to somebody else. Yeah, sure, we're glorifying God when we show mercy to somebody else. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We have a responsibility to do things to the glory of God, even outside of what we would call our quote-unquote spiritual matters. Even on things that we would consider to be secular-related, that we wouldn't think really have anything to do with the spiritual side of life. We still have a responsibility to glorify God in it. It says whether you eat or whether you drink, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God, period. What are some ways in our life that we can glorify God? Well, just in our everyday daily life, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So just in the daily things that we do in our life, we need to do it in such a way that people around us can see the, the light of Christ shining through us and that God can be glorified because of that. And sure, that's easy to do when everything's going great. But what if things aren't going so well in life? What about during our suffering? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. It doesn't matter if life's going good. It doesn't matter if life's going bad. If you're going through struggles in your life, it's say God is to be glorified in every situation, period. You know, there's really only two ways that you can glorify someone or something. And, and you can glorify anything, really. It doesn't have to be God that's glorified. You can glorify anything or anyone. And there's really only two ways that you can do it. One of them is you actually you bestow upon somebody a position or a title or something that, that gives them more glory than what they previously had. And the first thing I would think of is like somebody put into a royalty-type position, crowning somebody a king, that you have basically glorified them. You've lifted them up to a higher position than what they previously were. Well, can we do that for God? No. God's infinitely glorious. There's not a thing we can possibly do that will lift God up to a more glorious level than what he's already at. So the only thing that we can really do in our life that's glorifying God is to pronounce their glory to proclaim that this person is glorious, to show people that you're around that this is a glorious person or this is a glorious thing. 
Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, it said, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And so when we look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and it says that you're to glorify God in everything, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, it doesn't matter. Just your, your daily task in your life that you would think are, are minimal. God's to be glorified. The only way to do that is to proclaim the glory that he has. So how far really do you take this? I mean, I, what if I'm out mowing the yard? What if I'm studying for a test for school? I'm sitting at my computer at work just doing data entry. I'm driving my car down the road. Are those areas that we even have the opportunity to glorify God in what we're doing? You know, what it really boils down to is whether or not we can glorify God in a situation. It has to do with our attitude and our motivation for why we're doing it. Your attitude to the point of, am I doing this, this task out of gratitude? And what's the reason behind what I, why I'm doing it? What's my motivation for it? Am I doing it for the purpose of trying to honor God? If you have those two things right, you glorify God in anything that you're doing. It doesn't matter what it is. To the simple fact of brushing your teeth. Brother James talked about this morning. The scriptures talk about we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves. I'm brushing my teeth to take care of my body. Is that not glorifying God in what we're doing? If your mindset is correct in it, yes, it is. So let's recap back to the, the motto that, that kind of started this for that podcast is we manage God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory. Is that a very good definition then of stewardship? Absolutely. Everything that we do from a steward of God's gifts that he's given us should be done in that way. All right, so we know now what stewardship means in our lives, what are we really stewards of? You know, the word steward from the Greek is used only 10 times in the New Testament. That's really not that much if you think about it compared to all the words that exist. But the concept of it is ingrained in everything that is in scriptures. We see it everywhere in everything that we do. Um, probably the most common thing, like we said, that comes to mind for what we should be stewards of is probably money. Um, and money and stewardship kind of are, go hand in hand, at least from what the world thinks of it today. So what do we do with, with money? You know, the Bible talks about money a lot. And it, not even verses that don't specifically mention the word money or something, but if you take in the concepts of greed and um, what money can do to you from a negative standpoint, what money can do for you from a positive standpoint, Money is actually talked about in over 2,300 verses in the Bible, at least the concept of money. Do you understand that that's one out of every 13 verses in the entire Bible deals with money in some way or another? That is huge. Obviously, God understood what money could do for us in our lives, the positive aspects it could have, but more than anything else, the negative aspects what it could do to our lives the greed, the covetousness that, it, that could be instilled in our lives if we didn't manage money correctly. Um, there's many verses that I know probably stick out in your mind when uh, you think about what does the, money, the Bible say about money. In Matthew, it talks about you can't serve two masters, um, that you're going to love one and hate the other. Um, again, in Matthew, he talks about the rich young ruler. comes to him, what is he supposed to do? He says, go sell everything you have and take and give it to the poor. didn't work out very well for the for the rich young ruler, all having to do with his attitude. And then again, and this is probably the most famous one over in 1 Timothy, it says the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of wickedness, of all kinds of evil. Not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so you hear verses like this, and you start to think to yourself, okay, is, is it wrong for me to have money? Believe it or not, that, that's a concept that is, I, I don't know if it's just in my lifetime. I know I, maybe it's just as I've gotten older, maybe a little more mature, I've started to notice it a lot more. But there's a lot of people in the Christian world that believe you shouldn't have lots of money. The, if you have money, you can't get into heaven. Where it talks about it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. So I don't want money. Don't want to have anything to do with it. Is that what the Bible's trying to teach us? Absolutely not. It, it's just the way that we handle it. Are we being a good steward of it? Turn over to Matthew chapter 25. I want us to read this together. Matthew chapter 25. Let's begin reading in verse 34. And I, I know everybody's heard this before, but I, I really kind of looked at it a little bit differently as I was putting this sermon together. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now listen to this. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Six items listed right there. You know that four of those require the use of money. You have to use money in some way in order to feed somebody, to clothe them, to take them into your home. You have to have a home which takes money. Okay, to visit somebody who's sick and visit somebody in prison, okay, you can do that without money. But these other things, you had to have funds come from somewhere to be able to do this. When you start to think about the way God expects us to handle our money, I think when you open your wallet and you look inside and you see the money in there, your brain starts to think a little differently. You start to understand that the money that's in your wallet doesn't belong to you. It doesn't matter how hard you worked for it. It doesn't matter what you had to do, how many hours you had to put in to get it. That money does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And what we do with that money is a reflection of how well that we are a steward of what God wants us to do. All right, let's go on to the next thing. What else is there that we can be a steward of? God has given all of us talents of some kind. And you may be thinking, there, Jonathan, I'm not talented at anything. Well, you are. Everybody's talented at something. Some of us more than others. I mean, you have some people that are outstanding athletes. You have some people that are extremely well business-minded. But it doesn't really matter what it is. It, it doesn't matter if you're good at sports. It doesn't matter if you're good at relating to people. You might be able to clean floors better than anybody that you know. But either way, you have a talent of some kind. God expects us to use those talents to his glory, to show to the world what, what God really is about. When we start to think about the way that we use our talents, and and I'm not pointing down, I guess, at professional athletes, but, but maybe there's a greater temptation at that point because of the popularity and the celebrity status that can come with it. But when you look at most professional athletes, what are, what's in their mind for their talents? A lot of times it's self-glorification, to try to further themselves the best they can. On my phone, I normally keep it in my back pocket a lot of times, and I've got notifications set on the ESPN app. And so if a little news announcement or something comes out, my phone will buzz in my pocket, and I'll feel it all day long, and so they're buzzing. Well, 
with the NFL trying to get going right now, you get all the teams set and trades and everything going on, it'll buzz every time some big announcement comes out. It's amazing how many athletes are holding themselves out of their training camps that are starting because they're holding out on their contracts, something they're still under contract for. But in their minds, you think, you know what? I'm worth more money than what they're paying me. I'm not going to show up until you guys agree to give me more money. And so they hold out on their contracts, and the team eventually will give in, depending on who the player is, because they got to have them. And so these people are holding out for more money and more money and more money, and a lot of it is just to raise themselves in their own glorification. They start comparing, well, this guy over here makes more money than me. I think I'm better than him, so, okay, you guys need to pay me at least that much. They're in it for themselves a lot of times. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, start reading in verse 10. It says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's about as plain as it gets. The talents that we have, the abilities that God's given us, it doesn't matter how minimal that we think our talents or abilities are. God gave it to us. He expects us to use it for his glory. Period. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And Randy has been going through this in our class on uh, Wednesday nights. And I kind of thought about this as he was getting through verse 12. And then you skip over a little bit in verse 13. And I, this has just been sticking in my head for the last month or so, and I, I think it could really apply right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. It says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. These gifts that it talks about over in chapter 12, the gifts of prophecies, the gifts of being able to speak in tongues, the gifts of being able to interpret tongues, that all these people were given, why did those exist? Are those not talents or gifts that God had given to specific people? And it said in chapter 12 that these were given out as the Holy Spirit saw fit. So God chose who had what talents. He chose who had them and who didn't have them. Maybe they didn't have anything. But the whole purpose of having those gifts, those miraculous gifts, was for two things. It was to authenticate that Jesus was who he said he was, and it was to prove that the message that they were telling about God was authentic, that it was truly a, a real message. And so they would say something, and then they would do a miraculous act to prove that, look, I have the authority to back this up. Well, it tells us over in chapter 13 again, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. All these gifts that God had given from a miraculous standpoint are gone. The reason for that is, says that which is perfect has come. What's it talking about? It's talking about this right here. This is perfect. The scriptures are perfect. We don't need a miraculous act anymore to authenticate that Jesus is who he says he is, to prove that the message of what I'm telling you is true because you can go right here and look it up for yourself. You don't need me to do something miraculous to prove God has given me the authority to say this. Well, the reason I bring this up right now in our talents is why did God take those away? 
Well, once what is perfect has come, if anybody then at that point continued to use those talents for any reason, would it not be for selfish reasons? Because they weren't needed anymore. The scriptures were here. God's already proven everything that needs to be proven. They don't need a miraculous act to prove it. So if anybody continued with that miraculous act, it would be done for selfish reasons. Something that's always bothered me, and you see more and more churches starting to do this, more and more congregations, is they feel like they have to go outside of the scripture to do something to draw people in. They feel like they have to do some type of event or party or something just to get people in the door, and then when you get them here, you know what, we'll try to squeeze some scripture in there for them. Are you not saying then that scripture is not sufficient on its own to draw people to God? Are people trying to use their talents for selfish reasons and say, hey, look at me, look at what I can do. Oh, yeah, by the way, Jesus is really God. The talents that God gives us, they are to be used purely for his glory. And I think scriptures plainly teach that. Going to the next one here. And I saw this on, on Facebook earlier this week, and it, it, it bothered me for a little while. Um, I guess the more I thought about it, the more it started to bother me. There was a news article somebody had posted on there. It was uh, posted from WSMV's website. If you don't recognize those call letters, that's Channel 4 News out of Nashville. On their website, there was an article posted, and here's the title of it. Cursing, staying up late, being messy may be signs of intelligence. That studies have shown that the more you curse tends to be linked to people with a higher IQ. That's ridiculous. What that's doing is that's measuring intelligence on a human level. And so when we look at our speech, are we being good stewards of the speech that God has blessed us with? There's many people in this world that don't have the ability to speak. They're mutes. God has given us the ability to talk. And so what are we doing with the speech that God's blessed us with? How are we managing that? You know, we're told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and I know all of us have heard this. It says, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Nothing. No cursing should ever come from the lips of a Christian, ever. It doesn't matter what the world says links to intelligence or links to IQ. It means nothing. It is foolishness from what God tells us. Proverbs chapter 18, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It talks about that the, the tongue is able to set raging fires that can't be stopped that it's, it's stronger and mightier than a rudder that can steer a ship. We have one of the most powerful tools and blessings that God's ever given us literally right inside of our mouth. What are we doing with the speech that God has blessed us with? Are we using that speech to edify, to build people up? Are we using that speech to tear people down, to humiliate other people, to curse if nothing else, to use the Lord's name in vain? All right, these next two I think are extremely important, and that's why I kind of left them till later in it. Everybody turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. First Thessalonians chapter 2, let's read verse 4. And this is Paul speaking here. He says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Paul said he had been entrusted with the gospel. God basically put him as a steward of the gospel. The gospel, the scriptures, it belonged to God. He put it miraculously to Paul because the written scriptures did not exist at that point. 
Paul had the ability from a miraculous standpoint to take those scriptures to people. He was considered a steward for God for that. Today, have we not been done the same thing? We don't have it on a miraculous standpoint. We can literally hold it in our hands. So what are we doing from a stewardship of the scriptures? Are we managing the use of the scriptures the way that God wants us to? Are we using them in a way that will glorify God? If you keep on reading down in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you look at verse 8, it says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. That Paul was so willing, so happy to go and tell other people about the gospel. He wanted them to hear the scriptures that God had entrusted to him. He wanted to be that good steward that God expected him to be. You know, I, I've heard this old saying before, and I'm sure many of you have heard it too, that you can't go to heaven unless you take somebody with you. That is not true. That is not in the scripture. Nothing in scripture teaches that. What the scriptures do teach us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says our job is to cultivate the land. Our job is to go out and plow. That Paul planted, Apollos watered. Who was it that gave the increase? God gave the increase. The scriptures do not say that if you don't convince another person to be baptized, you don't have the right to come into heaven. But it does say, though, that we have a responsibility to go out and to plant that seed. It's God, then, that gives the increase. It's not our ultimate responsibility to make sure somebody becomes a Christian, but it is our ultimate responsibility to make sure that they at least know what they need to know to have the opportunity to do so. So what are we doing from a stewardship standpoint with the scriptures? Are we keeping it to ourselves? Are we anxious? We're willing to go out and talk to other people about it, to share the great commission that God has given to us. You know, it's amazing to really think about in the first century, the church, they didn't have the written scripture that we have today. If Paul, if Peter, if so many of the other apostles had what we have today, what do you think they would have done with this? You see what they were able to accomplish with just having the knowledge and then being able to try to impart that knowledge through letters, through, through gospel sermons, trying to teach people the scripture. What if they could literally hold the scriptures in their hand like we can today? How much more effective do you think they could have been? That they could have literally had Bibles to hand out to people, to point and show them places in Scripture. We have a resource today that they didn't have. How are we using that resource? All right, the next one. Turn over with me to Psalms chapter 127. Psalm 127. And some of you may know where I'm going with this just by the chapter that we're in. And this may be one, though, that many of us may have never thought of before, that we are to be a steward of this. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Many translations there, instead of saying heritage, it will say blessing. Children, children are a blessing from God. Are we not to be managing God's blessings that he gives us? Now, I think one mistake that we make as a parent is believing that our children belong to us. They don't belong to us. They're another soul created by God just like we are. God has entrusted our children's lives to us as parents for, what, 18, 20, 25 years maybe, to try to raise them in a way that they will come to know God that they will believe in God, and that they will do what God wants them to do. 
So how are we raising our children? How are we being stewards of our children? I mean, there's nothing wrong with your child being a great athlete, but is that everything? There's nothing wrong with with your children being successful in business, running a big company and, and making lots of money. Yeah, that's great, but is that everything? Is that everything that you push your children for? God told Jeremiah, he said, you know what? I formed you in the womb. God said that. You know, a lot of people, and you hear this a lot when when a young couple maybe has a child. It's like, oh, they make such pretty babies. Oh, they have such a cute little family. Look at what they made. They didn't make anything. God made that child. God told Jeremiah, he said, I formed you in the womb. I created you. I made you. But you know what? Before I did that, I sanctified you. I set you apart. I made you something special. He made that for he did that for Jeremiah before Jeremiah was ever born. God is who creates our children, not us. God entrusts these children to us as parents to raise them. And now, does our responsibility to the children stop when they're 18, 20 years old? It doesn't stop. It changes some. It changes a little bit. But we still have the responsibility as parents, do we not? And so the decisions that we make for our children's lives, how are we looking at those decisions? Are are we looking at the decision for what's going to better our child's future from a secular standpoint, from an earthly standpoint? Are we concerned about what's going to benefit our children from a scriptural standpoint? Now, maybe those things may coincide at times. But if there ever comes a situation and you've got to make a decision, the decision better be what's going to help them more scripturally, what's going to help their spiritual lives. And the reason for that is is because we are to be stewards of our children. These children belong to God, and we have to make sure that we manage those children and we do it in a way that their lives will glorify God. All right, the last one that I want to look at, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5, and after we go through this, we'll, we'll wrap up. Ephesians chapter 5, let's start reading in verse 15. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God gives us a blessing of time. Time can change very quickly for us in our lives. It talks about right there in verse 16. And I think this is very interesting the way that, that God, or that, um, that Paul mentions this here. Well, I'll tell you what, let's back up in verse 15 for a second. Verse 15, where it talks about that you need to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And we all know that the Bible is very big on it. It, it makes a very big separation between what is foolish and what is wise to do in our lives. Obviously, what is foolish, somebody who is a fool, They hear the word of the Lord, but decide not to do it. The wise will hear and do. And so then, with that in mind, look down in verse 16. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, if you look back into history, and you can look at secular history for this, the time frame that this was written in, where it said that the days are evil. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians just a couple years before Nero burned down Rome the persecution that was going on to Christians at this time was horrendous. People being burned at the stake alive. 
people being beheaded, watch their children be murdered simply because they're a Christian. It's a whole other level of persecution that we don't truly understand. And so when you look at verse 16, it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. They truly understood what it meant to be living in a world that was evil right then. And so it says you've got to redeem your time, not as somebody who's unwise and a fool, but somebody who's wise. Tell them your time is limited. You don't have much left. Somebody who is a fool hears what they should be doing, and they don't do it. Somebody who's wise, they hear it and they do it. They do what God says to do. So what do we do with our time? And I, I brought this commentary up here. It's one that we have back in the library. Um, this is a commentary on Psalms, and I thought it was very interesting on what the writer wrote right here for, uh, let's see, verse number 12. That's not right. Verse number 12. Oh, I went ahead and jumped over a little bit too far. Sorry, I skipped a verse. I knew verse number 12 wasn't where we were at. Psalm 90 and verse 12. It does say, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Okay, that's where I want the commentary to read. What does it say about that? Teach us to number our days so that we may have a heart of wisdom. What the writer of this commentary says, says this is a prayer that God will teach men to live as dying men should live, always taking account of the brevity and uncertainty of life and of the inevitable accounting before God in the final day. Listen to this. It says, what a contrast is this with the attitude of many wicked people who live exactly as if they expect to live forever. Do we live our lives expecting that we're going to live forever? You know, I think it's interesting on, if you have an iPhone, if you go on your phone under the settings, you can go to the battery, and it will actually tell you the percent usage of every single app on your phone and how many hours you've spent or how many minutes you've spent on every single app and how much battery those apps have used up. A majority of us, probably the number one app listed and they're ranked in order of the most used is probably going to be Facebook or Twitter or something like that on social media. And that's just the society that we live in today. And it, it really makes you stop and think is what are we doing with our time? Where are we putting our focus? Are we being good stewards of the time that God gives us? You know, we have a responsibility to save ourselves. And that, and that was something that was brought up by Brother Tom Holland yesterday at the men's meeting. And if you think about that, it, it sounds like a very selfish statement that we have a responsibility to save ourselves. Well, most people in here have probably flown on an airplane at some point. And so they go through the little spiel about the safety thing this, this uh, flight attendants do before you get going. And most of us probably don't even listen to those anymore. But they say if the cabin ever depressurizes, you're going to have these little masks. They're going to fall from the ceiling. What do they say that you're supposed to do with those masks if you have children with you? You put yours on first. Do you know why they say that? Because if you're incapacitated, you can't help the person next to you. You have got to make sure you're in a safe condition first. Now you're better able to help everybody else around you. Is that not the same concept for our lives? We have a responsibility to save ourselves. We can do all this great work for God and his kingdom, but if we lose our own souls to hell... What did it matter? We completely wasted our time here on earth, the blessing of time that God gave us. If we go our entire life and we don't be obedient to God, 
the one simple fact is, and James alluded to it this morning, there's only one option for our life. It is to rot away in eternal darkness, to burn in an eternal fire in hell. And that sounds awful. It's because it is awful. I mean, there's no simple way to put it. We have to be obedient to God in our lives. And, And if you ever, you should never hear a Christian say that, yes, I have been obedient. There is no have been. It's I am being. Obedience to God doesn't stop at baptism. It has to keep going. We have to continually be obedient day after day after day. The time that God has blessed us with has not stopped. So I want you to think about your life tonight. If you've never been obedient to God, you have the time right now. Your life is not gone at this point, but it may go very quickly. It could change in an instant. You know what you have to do. We, you hear it all the time. You've heard the gospel, but do you believe it? Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to repent to turn away from the sins that you have in your life? Confess before all of us, before everybody you come into contact in your life, that you do believe that Jesus Christ is a Son of God and that you're willing to be a child of His and to be immersed in baptism. If you haven't done that, you need to. Time can change very quickly. Are you being a good steward of what God has given you? Are you managing his blessings the way he wants it for his glory? And you may think about your own personal life if you are a Christian. Maybe you've begun to stray away from managing God's blessings that way. Are we being a good steward?